When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Ben, and today we are joined by a uh, longtime friend and collaborator, senior producer, Matt Frederick. Uh, I haven't given him a name, a nickname yet. No, no nicknames, but uh, he's definitely deserving of a nickname, I would think, at this mm-hmm. point. He's been yeah. around a long, long time here. Yeah. Um, yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us, Matt. And uh, you want to jump into today's topic, or do you have more to say about Matt? Oh. <laughs> he's, a, he's, a close, he's a close friend of yours. Yeah. Here at, here at work and outside of work as well. You guys work on shows together and everything. Yeah, so, we've uh, done a number of shows. We've done a number of shows. Um, and he's worked with you and I in the past on some, uh, video stuff. If you check out our show's brain stuff or stuff they don't want you to know, you can see Matt on camera every once in a while. And, uh, let's see. I think that's it. Oh, also co-host another audio show with us. But. Yeah. The guy gets around. What does he not do? Really? Jack of all trades. But most importantly, ladies and gentlemen, you are here and hopefully in the right place. Uh, you, if you're looking for car stuff, that is. Uh, so let's, uh, enough with the, the Matt fan mail, right? (laughs) This guy's going to get an ego. Oh, I know. He's probably probably already got one. We'll see. (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. He's, he seems like he's a down to earth guy. Yeah. Real. He's grounded. We like Matt. Yeah. For sure. All right. Let's move on. Let's move. <laughs> All right. So today's topic is uh, one that you came to me with uh, mm-hmm. a few weeks ago, and you said, um, I got a suggestion for, for a topic, um, but we weren't quite sure how to wrangle this one, I guess. So we were yeah. thinking um, it's kind of a, a broad topic, and it's the Kelly Blue Book. And we thought, well, how are we going to really tackle this? Are we going to make it like a one-on-one, like how to use the Kelly Blue Book? Uh-huh. But that seems kind of, um, I don't know, um, elementary. You know, I mean, you can go yeah. online and, and pretty much figure it out. Click through there, and it's uh, to each his own, I guess, on that site, right? Um, every man for himself in that, in that case. I guess maybe that's a better way to say it. But um, maybe common misconceptions, something like that. Mm-hmm. And that sort of ties in with the way I think we're going to do this. And we, we looked into the history of Kelly Blue Book, which will not surprise any of our listeners, that we love to look at, at how things start around here at our in our show. And uh, this one as always, has a fascinating history that goes along with it. 
Yeah, and luckily, listeners, you will recall that uh, Scott and I had had some misadventures trying to find a relatively lighthearted topic after the uh, after Hell's Highway. Yeah, and you know what? I think we found one. I mean, yeah. we tried we tried with U-Haul, and uh, it turns out there was some craziness going on there in that family and that oh, company man, and yeah. all that stuff. And you know, it's a, it's also a good story. Great but, story. Um, this Kelly Blue Book tale is uh, is relatively light. I mean, it's it's not anything. Terrible. It's not anything dastardly going on in the uh, in the company between the brothers or anything like that. Right. So um, this seems to work out okay. So let's let's talk about the Kelly Blue Book, and it goes back. Um, honestly, it starts well right about a century ago. Yeah. Yes, sir. That's uh, going to be a surprise to a lot of listeners. I think. Yeah. Right about. Um, I guess we'd be around ninety years now. It was uh, first published in nineteen twenty six, but this goes. It. But that's just. Uh, you know, one thing you and I often find, Scott, is that the story never really starts when the story officially starts. No, no, no. And you know what? We can maybe, how about this? We outline some of the dates, the important dates okay. right up here, right up the front. And then we can talk about how it all became, uh, you know, kind of step through the history of the Kelly Blue Book and as we go through this. So you mentioned 1926. That's the first actual publishing of the Kelly Blue Book. Right. All right but he was creating this list uh, for a long time prior to that, since about 1918. Yes, we're talking about Les Kelly. Uh, he was a, a young man back in 1918, uh, and that is the year that he uh, also parked three Model T Fords in an open lot, put 450 bucks in the till, and started the Kelly Car Company. Yeah, 1918. And he was a young guy at the time. I believe, I want to say he was... Um well, in 1914, he was 17 years old. So four years later, he was 21 years old when all this went yeah, down. Yeah. Uh, so young, young guy. Um, 1918 again. That's the the start of a a dealership. So he starts out with not publishing really, but he starts out with a a Ford dealership um, mm-hmm. of sorts, if you, if you can call it that. Really, um, <laughs> he wasn't like a, an authorized Ford dealer or anything like that. The way it, the way it started was um, he he had a Model T Ford. Uh, you know, of course, back in 1914, right. that's what you would drive. He had a Model T Ford. And uh, he was pretty good at fixing things, repairing things, keeping things, uh, you know, tip-top condition. Mm-hmm. And he did that with his Model T Ford. And a lot of his friends were kind of bugging him all the time about, like, hey, I'd like to buy that car from you. It's in great shape. And, you know, I know that it's a quality vehicle. Um, you've been driving it for a long time. And he was, you know, I, I guess he was um, hesitant to sell it or to get rid of that vehicle. Mm-hmm. But eventually he caved and sold it to one of his friends. And he used that money to buy another Ford. Um, did he buy two at that point? Yeah, he bought one other old Ford, and he did he did the same thing. He went, you know, did like a complete overhaul of the thing, and he traded it off again. Yep. This time, however, he traded it for two Model T Fords of lesser condition and some cash. Uh huh. And uh, that was that was critical, right? Right, because that's one of the things that really got him uh, interested mm-hmm. in 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 the idea of the car business. So he found himself eventually making enough money to put himself through college. Yeah, with just this kind of like trading up one yeah. level every time. And, and as I said, you know, he had these two cars that he reconditioned, had a little bit of cash. He he reconditioned those cars and sold them. Yep. He used that little bit of money to buy other used cars mm-hmm. because, you know, they're very, very cheap at the time. You right. Know, well, re, you know, um, I guess respectively, I guess. Yeah. Um, but he bought these other used vehicles and then he, again, made himself enough money to get through college. And he leased out, he got so successful at this point. He was, he was still a young guy in college. 
He, he was so successful that he was able to lease part of a lot from another dealer in Los Angeles, and that's where he started the uh, this Kelly Car Company with just three cars for sale, and as he said, $450 in the till. Right, yeah. Uh, his brother, who was named Buster, joined in uh, at the age of 13, just helping out on the lot, and the business continued to grow. They had to move to larger sites. Uh, Buster stayed there for a while. By the time he was 18, he ran a repair shop, heading up a dozen mechanics because they would do, you know, repairs as well as dealership stuff, Mm -hmm. as well as sales. And Les would manage the sales. And they kept having to move to larger and larger and larger sites. Yeah, and this is all happening in Southern California. I don't think we mentioned that. Oh, no, we didn't. Yeah, Uh, I was in Irvine, California, which is just south of Los Angeles and north of San Diego. Mm-hmm. So uh, Southern California business, that's where it's founded, but it doesn't always stay there. I think it, I think it moves at a certain point. But um, so this is uh, we're getting to the point where it's in the early 1920s. And this yes. is really the start of of what would make him most famous, I guess. Right. Yeah. Because a lot of people probably hearing this podcast thought, oh, wait, Les Kelly sold cars. I mean, it makes sense when you think about it, but it just doesn't occur to a lot of people. 1920s, this is our, our pivotal moment. This is what Gladwell, Malcolm Gladwell would call the tipping point, right? Mm-hmm. And that's because uh, Les Kelly needs more inventory. So he started, he, he wrote up a list and he gave other dealers and banks this list of cars, only cars he wanted to buy. And what he would pay for them. Yeah, pretty smart, right? He says, I I will pay you X number of dollars for a Duesenberg in this Mm -hmm. condition. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in our patios walkways and gardens with the home depot's mother's day savings event happening now get vigoro potting soil just $8.97 for strong healthy vibrant plants indoors and outside start your mother's day shopping and saving today by checking out the home depot's exclusive
extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. And uh, no one had ever done this before. I mean, he's he's putting a value on used cars. And prior to that, it was just kind of uh, the sky's the limit. I mean, it's you walk sure. in and you you from like with no is a blank slate, I guess, with with no starting point to go from for the dealer or for the person who's walking in, the customer. They have to kind of hammer out a price on whatever vehicle, right. and there really wasn't a set rate. And he's he's sort of in a way saying. Here's our starting point. Here's here's what I'm willing to pay, and then of course the negotiations can go from that point. But he's putting it right out there for everybody to see, the bankers, the other dealers, and so they know where where he would begin. But the thing is, a lot of other dealers said, "Hey, that's a fantastic idea." And you know what? Right. I kind of agree with your numbers here. So I'll take you know, can I have a copy of that list, and I'll use that for my list as well. I mean, I'd like to just see it so that when someone comes in and wants to buy one of these vehicles or wants to trade in one of these vehicles. I'll, I'll know roughly where we can begin this negotiation yeah. process. Oh, the starting point. Yeah, starting point. It's all about a starting point at this point. It's in the early 1920s. And the thing is, this is really critical because the early 1920s is when this kind of, uh, this trust in Les Kelly begins. Uh-huh, and, and the trust yes. is so critical for him. I mean, the, the, um, I guess, um, you know, the, the, uh, I don't want to say honor system, but I mean, he's, he's got fair numbers in the, in the books. Right. Yeah. And, those numbers speak for themselves because sure. if they weren't reasonable numbers, then other dealers wouldn't be using them. Yeah, and they are because they've got them as as the uh, you know the uh, history of the Kelly Blue Book story tells us here that um, you know a lot of other dealers would have that list very handy. They, they keep it under their blotters on the side. Now the customers don't have any idea what's going on yet at this point, unless. Uh-huh. Unless somebody has leaked to them that, you know, this is going on behind the scenes. But, <laughs> but the dealers are the only ones using this. It's a, um, it's not even a publication yet at this point. It's just a list that he's either typed up or had copied in some way. Um, but at this point, again, it's still just a list put together by Les Kelly. It's not truly a published list yet. Right. But, uh, we should also say that this is a boon for bankers as well. Somebody wants a car loan. You know how much the car is worth. It helps evaluation. Mm-hmm. It eventually ends up insur- in insurance, but let's not get too far ahead it's of ourselves. A huge yeah. time saver, and yeah. if everybody can agree on those numbers, then that's a great system to have. So, in a little bit before 1926, uh, so from 20 to 26, uh, Kelly's gears are turning, and he's saying, "You know, I'm selling cars is great." And by the way, this was a wildly successful dealership. Mm-hmm. Selling cars is great, but I think I could also make uh make a pretty penny by just doing this by just supplying this list to bankers and dealers becoming a publisher yeah uh, but you know i think he he kept his hands in into both pots here i mean if that's oh, for a, sure or both lines both lines in the water maybe is, is a better way to say it <laughs> yeah. i guess because um he was selling vehicles and he was publishing this list as early as about 1926 because that was the first publication of the kelly blue book was in 1926 so he'd been doing this for about eight years you know publishing this uh this uh, the shorthand list, I guess, you know, the one that he just typed up or however right. he had it copied again. 
Um, but the first published Kelly Blue Book was in 1926, and I think it was in Los Angeles, because at this point, they had moved around to bigger locations, as you said. So it was right. in the L.A. area when, when this thing was finally published. And it was called The First Blue Book of Motor Car, motor car Values. Um, and he showed things like, you know, factory and list price cash values of thousands of vehicles from Cadillacs to Duesenbergs, Pierce Arrows, Hupmobiles. I mean, I'm looking at a list here that has Studebaker, uh, Willie's Night Vehicles, Packards, <laughs> um, you know, Nash Vehicles, just all kinds of stuff, right? So um, the Blue Book thing, I think that's, um, I want to say that's kind of like, is that like just a standard? Because I don't know if he came up with that or not. I, I don't know how the Blue yeah. Book term came about, but... One thing that, that they point out here is that Emily Post, who published etiquette books, also used that term because she called it etiquette, the blue book of social usage. So I wonder if that was just a common um, thing at that time. I, right. I, didn't, I didn't really dig into that too deep to see what blue book meant at the time. If it was like a uh, like a standard of some sort. Like a classification of book. Yeah, that know? might be. I'm going to have to look that up after this podcast. Maybe one of our listeners will write in it. Yeah, us, somebody let us know what other blue books exist. But he kept the theme going as well because he realized that he could help for marketing his own blue book and he would do he would make it um, more of an authoritative source for car values by uh carrying this selected blue seal automobile uh this the, it was this blue and gold ribbon medallion that they would put on the cover of the blue book and then dealers were expected to have the relevant prices but it's very important to note that at this time uh, just as, so long as we're clear about this, at this time, customers still didn't see the book, right? That's true. This was a trade publication for dealers. Yeah, trade publication, and it will remain that for decades. And we'll we'll talk about when that became, uh, when that switched over. You know what? I just found a note here about the Blue Book name now. Quick answer, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, I guess the publication was named Blue Book after the social register because it meant that you'd find valuable information inside. So... That's kind of the uh, the genesis of the blue book. I see. Um, within you know the way that Kelly is using it, and the way that uh, Emily Post is using it for her etiquette book is like whatever's inside here is valuable to you in some way. Also, uh, blue book is a uniform system of citation for uh, lawyers. It's oh. uh, the blue book is. Uh, well, a thing called the Blue Book is compiled by Harvard Law Review. So if you're looking for a copy of the Blue Book and it seems confusing and filled with legalese, you might be looking at the wrong Blue Book. <laughs> Probably. All right. So Les Kelly was starting to become synonymous, I guess, with being the authoritative source on everything automotive as far as values go. Um, for new cars, used cars, uh-huh. um, he's becoming the one to go to the source to go to for this. And, and that's important because this is such an early start. He's the only one really doing this. There might have been other kind of, you know, spinoffs that were trying, but they were just republishing his, his information. Right. And I think that, you know, we talked about this off air. We said that how strange is it that here's a guy that's running a dealership that's telling the banks and the, the insurers and everybody else what these cars are worth. Yeah. It seems, and I know I, I hesitate to use the word dirty, but it's a little bit dirty, I think, in that, you know, he's trying, he's kind of playing both sides of this, right? I mean, he could, place a higher value on certain vehicles, but that, that he has an interest in selling or buying, or, you know, lower sure, ones on the yeah. ones he wants to buy, he higher than he's selling. He could influence the market. He, yes, very, exactly right. He could influence the market in a, in a, uh, in a serious way. However, he wasn't doing that because he was keeping it fair. Other people were watching him at this point. I mean, it's, it's all being monitored right. because, you know, the Packer guy would say, Hey, why are you 
devalue my Packards and your Fords are going up in value. I don't understand what's going on there. And he would he would have to have an explanation for that. So he's watching the market trends. He's watching, mm-hmm. um, you know, just exactly what's required now. I mean, because the market changes all the time based on other things, too. I mean, early in the 1900s, when he started all this, we were, we were just coming out of World War One. And we were not quite to World War II yet, but that will come into play. Um, there's also the Great Depression, which hit just before that, right. in the 1930s. So there's there's that stuff going on. And he's got to pay attention to all this stuff. And, and not only that, he's looking at, like, the quality of the vehicles. Um, so just the accessories, the blue books become uh, increasingly sophisticated over time. Exactly right. So, for example, I mean, one example they use here in the story is that a 1926 Packard sedan limousine with balloon tires <laughs> might fetch as much as $3,825. Can you imagine that? Oh, can you? Um, 3825 But a 1921 Nash touring car, even with the clock, was only worth $50. The whole the Nash nineteen twenty one Nash fifty bucks. I love that part where they know even with a clock. <laughs> uh, but this see here's here's something I really respect about this guy and this enterprise is that he was able to see the long term goal, mm-hmm. or if we want to be cynical, the long con. Because no matter how much money you could make in the short term by inflating the prices of cars you wanted to sell. Which I guess you could if you timed it correctly, uh, you would still you you would instantly lose the reputation of this book, right? Mm-hmm. Sure, and, and your your personal reputation would be ruined. Exactly right. That was very important to him, apparently. I mean, and as it would be to anybody starting out like this. I mean, you would think that it would be not right. everybody, but but to him it was. <laughs> it really was. And uh, and man, I'm glad it paid off because this has become a standard even now, decades later. I mean, it's one that we yeah. all go to and trust. Oh, Scott, I'm sorry. Before we go to the modern day, though, yes, I, said, I don't. I hate. Well, to we're not. We're not quite going to the we're modern not, day. Right, yet. Okay. I've got. I've got another little interesting twist on this whole thing of what what they did with uh, with re- involving pink cars. Ah, yes, good. Okay. You're a mind reader. That's yes. exactly what I want to talk about. Yeah. Good. Okay, so I'll, I'll set the stage for you, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, did I blow the secret? No, no. Oh, no, good. No, no. Okay, good. Uh, I'll set the stage for you. So you've probably heard that famous quote by Henry Ford, right, uh, saying that customers can have any color of paint they want so long as it's black. Turns out that Henry Ford wasn't saying that to be just some sort of obstinate, stubborn control freak. It was because painting technology at the time was a pain in the keister. Mm-hmm. And all the paints were different. I mean, there were other paint colors available, as we know. Right. And all Model Ts were not black, as we know. Right. Um, but the thing with the black paint was that it dried faster. It, it, whatever the chemical makeup of you know Ford's black paint was, uh, it, it allowed it to dry faster than, say, the red or the blue or the yellow or the green or any of the other colors that right. were available. All of which to, had different uh, drying times. But still, even with this black paint, it took, what, Scott, a, a month? <laughs> yeah, that's amazing, isn't to it? paint a car. Yeah, it did because they weren't baking the enamel on like they, they are now or anything like that. So it, what they don't tell you or what you don't often see is that sometimes they had um, warehouses of parts that were hanging to be dried, you know, before they could be a, a Applied to a vehicle. Yeah, just air drying. Yeah, to be air dried. So, you know, it took up enormous amounts of space if you wanted to paint a car in any other color besides black, because black happened to cure a lot faster than some of the other colors. So, um, if this Ford had to devote about 20 acres of covered storage just for waiting for cars to dry. So, you would park 20 acres of Fords out, out, you know, they're under, you know, um, pole barns or something like that, right? But, um, yeah, just for them to dry so they could go to the dealership and then be sold. And that must have just made him furious. But the black cars could be moved out a lot faster than the other colored vehicles. 
And at this time, uh, when, when this little tidbit takes place, uh, Buster, the 13-year-old little brother from earlier, has rose through the ranks. You mm-hmm. know, he was 18. He was leading the repair shop. Now he, I believe he's general manager, but no, he's not yet general manager. Not yet. But he's, he's on the way. He's got, he's an ascending star. Mm-hmm. Um, Buster <clears throat> Kelly. I like yeah. that name. Yeah, it does sound, it, uh, it reminds me of Buster Keaton, of yeah, course. Of course. But, uh, but so Buster was, uh, still managing the body shop. That's right. And an employee was going to repaint a car, a used car. Yeah. And of course they were going to repaint it black because that's just what they did. And makes sense. I'm sure that every car on the lot and every car on every lot down the road was, you know, let's say most of them were black. Not all of them, but most of them were. So you wanted something to stand out. And he said, yeah, I got an idea. Let's paint it pink. Of all things. I mean, he decides, let's paint it bright pink. So they do that. They paint it pink. They put it in the showroom, and immediately that car sells. Like that. It's gone, like super quick. So he says, what if it worked once? Let's try it again. So they tried it again, (laughs) and it worked again. And they said, you know what? We've got all these cars in this paint shop right now. We've got the pink paint ready to go. Paint every car pink. And they did it, and they sold every vehicle. Every single one. Yep. Which I, I guess it just seems, even back then, and, it seems very L.A. to me. And the thing is, now, I think this is a DuPont paint that they were using because I said that DuPont had come up with a uh, a lacquer that in any color dried in just two hours instead of a month. So what normally took, you know, 30 days to, to make happen or to work, now is like you could do it overnight practically. So right. So something like that was it was revolutionary. You know, before that, they probably wouldn't have tried the pink, uh, you know, thing unless it was just a one-off experiment. But... Um, it worked for them and it, it made a huge, you know, splash, I guess, in the, uh, in the local area. I mean, it's such a, it's such a powerful statement. If every other car is one color, then of course people are going to want the thing that is different. That's what people want. Sure. You know? That's innovation. I mean, he's, he's really thinking out of the box on that one, really. Honestly, I hate yeah. using terms like that, but I mean, he's thinking, <laughs> he really was. He's thinking out of the box and it, and it worked for them. Um, both, both the dealership and the book itself, which again still is a, a trade publication at this point, continue to flourish. Now, Scott, I think by this point, some more savvy customers or car enthusiasts, mm-hmm. you know, people who are well off enough to buy cars multiple times per year, mm-hmm. uh, those folks probably know that something's up. You yeah, know, probably. They've got their spider sense tingling. But uh, by this point, Buster is officially the general manager of the dealership and uh, the publisher of the Blue Book. And Kelly Car Company moves to Figueroa and Pico Street in L.A., and they take up almost a city block. Yeah, isn't that something? And that's not including the uh, the repair and body shop, which is a, a different location. Um, and they've got 100 people working there at this point. So the body shop alone has 100 people. Um, what year is this? We're talking that this is still um, right around the Depression era. So this is still early on in the history of the company, the uh, the Kelly Car Company. Right. Um, strange. The the dealership operated solely as a used car operation for a long, long time. But um, in in those days, new car dealerships didn't sell used cars. So the so the if you wanted a used car, you had to go to a used car dealership. You couldn't go right. to a new car dealership, and they didn't have like a separate lot for the used cars or anything like that. This was simply the place you would go or, you know, a trade in. Yeah, for a trade. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. You could trade in your vehicle, your used vehicle for another used vehicle. You could do that. But if you wanted a brand new car, you didn't have to go to him. Um, so, you know, he's working directly with the public in that, in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is that, of course, you know, with, with the, um, uh, the publication that he has and, you know, the, the values that he's placed on vehicles, he was often, uh, the one that they would go to for, 
um, a, I guess, an appraisal. You know, he could he could set up an appraisal. You could have your used car appraised before you took it somewhere else or to them. You know, depending on if you wanted to right. sell it to them or take it down the block and get a you know deal on that new Cadillac or whatever you're going to get. Right. So during this is even during the depression. Um, sometimes the the line of vehicles to be appraised for the day would be would go around the block. It was like this long, long waiting list of people to you just pull up, right? Get the appraisal done, and you're on your way. And even during the, the depression era, um, they were buying. They, they were very successful. They were buying entire uh, dealerships', dealerships yeah. inventory, like everything they've got on their lot. Because you know, uh, unfortunately, a lot of places were folding up. They were unable to maintain business. But for whatever reason, the Kelly Car Company was was just the business was booming there. And a lot of people were selling their cars to, again, this is an unfortunate thing in U.S. history, but one of the first things that happens in an economic collapse when people lose employment, when they, you know, you lose, you can lose income, but you rarely lose bills. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they had to start selling things off, and one of the first things to go would be the most expensive thing they owned aside from their house, which was their car. Yeah, I think we've all seen photos of uh, Depression era. You know, people parked on Wall Street with a sign on the front that says, you know, the first $100 cash takes this car. That kind yeah. of thing. Sad, sad stories. Uh, but uh, but it does give me a funny moment here because I, I can just see it so clearly. Someone's finally gotten through the appraisal line and they've got their Nash touring car there, and they're like, I can only give you $50, and there's some guy screaming, but it's got a clock, right? (laughs) Yeah, you're right, that that, uh, that invaluable accessory, right? So, yeah, yeah, that invaluable accessory. Don't be fooled, uh, those of you in the business of uh, buying 1921 Nash touring cars. (laughs) You know what? I think they're worth more than 50 bucks today. You know, here's another, uh, yeah, I think a little bit more. (laughs) Here's a funny note on the uh, 1930s and 40s, because it says says here in the history, it says, a very different world in the used car buying business yeah. than, uh, or in the used car business rather, than uh, than it is today. And he says often part of the as part of the sale, Buster Buster Kelly would spend Saturday or Sunday teaching the buyers, sometimes both husband and wife, how to drive. Right? Isn't that funny? That's a funny thought. Like they come in, they buy a vehicle, and he's like, "Well, I, they, they're like, I don't have any idea how to drive." But uh, Buster would take them out and personally teach them how to drive. Now, which of these wheels do I turn? <laughs> Right. Yeah. So it's it's uh it's true, though, because, you know, at this point, the 1930s and the 40s, people are beginning to recover. The U.S. is slowly beginning to recover from the horrors of the Great Depression. Sure. And for a lot of them, this is maybe their first vehicle that they've been able to purchase. Absolutely. So, so, so again, the uh, the necessity of being able to teach them how to drive and and the Kellys to be able to offer something like that for Buster to teach them how to drive and sell them the vehicle. That's like the whole deal. That's everything Ah, all at one spot. And we'll raise the stakes a little further because the Kelly brothers also opened their own insurance company and auto club. So you could walk in, you could buy a used car, so it wouldn't be near as expensive as a new one. Mm -hmm. And the same time, you could get insurance, driving lessons, and sell any other car that you had. Oh, man. What a deal. I mean, they figured out this business uh from front to back. You well, that's know? pretty amazing that they could do that. I mean, and, you know, at one point, um, I think it was right around the World War II era just afterwards. So they have this this thought that, you know, because of, um, you know, people that are about to be drafted are going into the war. So this is like, you know, just prior to the war or during the war. So somebody who is about to be drafted could uh, sell his car to the Kelly Car Company and then drive it right up to the point when they left for the war. So it wasn't like a situation where they had to leave the vehicle on the farm or whatever and then have, you know, 
have somebody sell it for them or hang on to it, you know, park it or whatever. Right. Um, the idea was that the, um, you know, the, the soldier, the soldier to be, uh, would be able to, um, you know, sell it, know that they're going to get that money when they drive in and they leave it on the lot and walk out with the cash for the vehicle. And that's, that's pretty important. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty innovative thing that they were doing at the time. And when the war was over, uh, they offered something called the GI credit plan. So when they came back in, they didn't have to have any money down and they could have up to five years to pay for a, another vehicle on the lot. Not the one that they turned in, of course, because that's long gone, mm-hmm. but um, something new on the lot or something used on the lot, rather. See, that's, that's so cool. I wish there were, I wish there were more opportunities for returning soldiers, mm-hmm. uh, li- like that, because there aren't as many in, in modern day. Yeah, America. you know, there's some around, but I think at the time, Kelly was probably um, an innovator in that they were doing this because I don't, I, I've never heard of any other car dealership or, um, you know, even car company right. uh, doing this. So that, that was a pretty good idea, this GI credit plan, I think. Um, then right around the same time, I would guess, uh, I don't know exact year on this, but uh, Buster's son, Bob, yeah. joined the business just like his dad did. And he made 50 cents a day, which I don't know if that's uh, that's a great pay or not. That's probably not, if I had to guess. Um, same thing, he was a lot boy, so, you know, washing cars, changing tires, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so the <clears throat> they finally started doing some advertisement right mm-hmm. uh and this is this is so fascinating to me because buster kelly became the first car dealer to advertise on television yeah i read that i wonder if that's true or not i mean i wonder if there's you know if there's I, a local guy somewhere I, I wonder i mean i think that's pretty interesting though i mean so so at this point just so we're clear on this he he had already, Les Kelly had bought a small Ford franchise as well during the war because, you know, it was available. And oh, he, yeah, yeah. He, of course, was doing very well, you know. So now they could sell new cars. Yeah, too. so he was selling new and used vehicles at this point. So that's kind of new for them because it had been used up until this point. Um, and you said, you know, first car dealer on TV. And, and these weren't your typical commercials either. No. These were like the ones that you see sometimes on the weekend. I, and I, I will sometimes uh-huh. watch these because usually they're they're kind of funny. Um, it's more like an infomercial. Yeah, it's like uh, an abbreviated infomercial because like 15, 20 minutes long. Yeah, like the camera stays in one place. And I, this is the way I picture it going down, Ben. I think that they probably had a stationary camera. And, you know, mm-hmm. this is the way that the other ones I've seen have worked. Right. They probably have a stationary camera on the dealer in front of the dealership. And then they have like a parade of vehicles driven by salespeople. Yeah. You know, that bring in one and then they pull it off and they, they you know, they talk about it. And then they, they pull that through and another one comes through and they talk about that one and they pull it through. And that's the way it works. They can talk about as many cars as they can without moving the camera. I have a feeling that that's kind of the way this was. I know that he would walk around the showroom as well. Um, and he would also offer a guarantee with these vehicles, which I thought was another innovative thing for them to do. Right. That you could return the car within 30 days and you could trade it for any other car at the same or higher value. So um, you had this option that if you took it home and you didn't like it, you know, you kicked the tires, you'd driven around the block right. a few times, you had some friends out for a ride or whatever, 30 days, that's pretty good. That's a or, great policy. Or your wife says, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but 30 days, that's really good. Because, that is, that is. You know, now I'm trying to think of uh, some places that do similar things. And I think there's like a three-day guarantee at one national chain. Right. Uh, maybe a five-day guarantee at another one. But not 30. Not 30. That's an awful long time. And, and you know, the idea that you could trade it in um, – you know, I, I think it wasn't like a cash back deal. You couldn't trade it back for for the full cash no, value. No, no, no. You no. could once you'd made that purchase, you'd be able, you'd have to get it another vehicle, something that is that level or higher. I'm I, th- I think that was it. Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering too if uh, we can go on YouTube 
and find one of those first commercials. I haven't checked yet, but if we do, I'll, I'll go ahead and put it on Twitter. That would be really cool to see uh, Buster Kelly selling cars. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in our patios walkways and gardens with the home depot's mother's day savings event happening now get vigoro potting soil just $8.97 for strong healthy vibrant plants indoors and outside start your mother's day shopping and saving today by checking out the home depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options see homedepot.com delivery for details the home depot how doers get more done Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Uh, and speaking of selling, okay, they went beyond selling uh, individual cars. <clears throat> and I believe it was the 1950s when Les Kelly decided that they were going to sell the dealerships. Yeah, this is a strange move, huh? So he's, uh, he's very... Um well, he's in his 60s, right? And he's very successful at this point. And he decides that um, rather than continuously moving around, you know, trying to get to a bigger place and a bigger place, it's just becoming more and more costly to do something like that. Um, but he was going to have to – the idea was that uh, he would have had to move from downtown L.A. to somewhere else. Right. And I don't think he liked the idea of moving out of downtown L.A. because it's probably the hot spot for business. But sure. he was kind of out of options at this point. He needed more space, but if you do need more space, you got to get out of town. And the problem is, will people go out of town to buy new cars? I, I think that's the thought process here. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, his his last location, um, I think, is at the current site of the Staples Center in downtown L.A. That's where the Staples Center was built. Uh, so that was his last L.A. location, the big one. Yeah, it's um, sad. It would have been cool if they had made it a museum. But, but. Uh, So by 1962, they were completely out of the car business and devoting their full time to publishing this Kelly Blue Book, which is still 
just a trade publication. It's not available to the public in any way. At this point in time. Yeah. And now that we have turned the leaf with the Kelly brothers and they have, they have gone from selling three cars in a lot somewhere to becoming the largest used car dealership in the world. And now they're going straight into publishing. We are ready to, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm going to say it. Turn a page on the Kelly Blue Book. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. So, Scott, st- are we are we still cool after that? Turn the page. Oh, line? that was a pretty bad pun, but uh, we can we can probably move on past that. Anyway. All right, I'm going right. to do my best not to have any more. Okay. So, all right. So here we are. Um, they they moved to Long Beach, as you said, and for the next thirty years, the Blue Book thrives just as a trade publication. Yes, it does. And, uh, you know, somewhere along the way, I mean, we've got to mention this right now because this is kind of where this falls in the chronology. Now, the company carries on. Uh, however, of course, um, Les Kelly, he's getting pretty old at this point. Right. He's uh, in his late 60s in the 1950s, and he is active in the business uh, until... 1990. Yeah, 1990. That's when he passed away. It was in 1990, and he was 93 years old when he passed away. So uh, he remained with it right to the very end. But uh, the company, as we said, carried on. And um, you know, the thing is that you know, so we mentioned that it was just a trade publication at this point, right? Right. So, yeah. so that's pretty critical because I think a lot of our listeners might have thought, you know, that well, pretty much for their whole life, they've probably heard the term, "What's the Kelly Blue Book value of my car?" or I get you know check the Kelly Blue Book on it to see before right. I take it to the dealer to trade it in, and especially and, if your parents ever bought used cars. Yeah, exactly right. You know, everybody kind of heard of this by this point, but again, it's still a trade publication. It was not for the public, and the trade publication thing means that you know it was only available to the automotive insiders, the automotive industry insiders, like car dealers, mm-hmm. financial institutions, insurance, insurance companies. companies. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So um, it wasn't until 1993 that the general public could actually buy a Kelly Blue Book. And that changed everything. Oh, absolutely <laughs> everything. Because, you know, here's this trade publication where the dealers have got kind of a, um, an ace in their, uh, in their sleeve, you know? Yeah, they got an edge. Yeah, they really do have a little bit of an edge at this point. And, and honestly, 1990, well, what year is that? 1993, I said? Yes. Um, Internet is uh, is around, but very very sparse. Yeah, I don't know if that's a good way to say it. But uh, it's just not available like it is now. Um, right. You had to. Well, you know, I'm not even going to go into that. We can let tech stuff do that. But <laughs> but uh, 1993, you weren't hopping online every five seconds to check something. You know, you check your Facebook posts. Let's right. Your way. your phone. Uh, it- in most cases, still was a landline. Or a bag phone. Or a bag phone. Yeah, yeah. that's if right. If you Look, were on Wall Street. <laughs> yeah, if you were super wealthy. <laughs> Did people have, uh, were pagers? People had pagers, and right? In 93, yes. I, yeah. I think pagers were still popular. Did, yeah, you, but, did you have a pager? You know, I did. I had a pager because <laughs> uh, my job required in 1995. Um, I can tell you exactly when. I, I had, I was a, like a corporate runner for Chrysler. Uh, and uh, I had to have, had to have it so I was available, you know, to make a phone call at a payphone if I had to, you know, pull over and, and call somebody back at the headquarters. I remember, you know, I, when I was growing up, one of the things that, my parents did when I started driving. Um, yeah, I think it was when I started driving. They got me a pager because they wanted they wanted there to be no excuses. Sure, you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, well, did you use it often? I hated it. Yeah, I, I eventually I thought it was cool, but eventually hated it. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a super popular kid. I'll be honest with you. So it's not like there were. Um, it's not like there were girls that I had a crush on 
that were sending me texts or using the whatever codes there were. It was the only lady sending me texts on that pager was my mother. Oh, man, you had a fancy <laughs> one if you could get a text on you. Well, so no, no, just numbers. numbers. That's oh, what I mean. I see, I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mine, you know what? I, I would bet you anything that I could walk into my basement, find the box that that thing still lives in, and I could I could put my hands on that pager in less than five minutes from entering my house. I, I bet I know right where it is. Wow, that's great. Maybe you yeah. should bring it back. I, you know, I've got you know, <laughs> as, as I moved on through jobs, different jobs. Yeah. Like, you know, when you're done, you kind of pack up everything into one box and you label it like you know whatever company, sure. You know, desktop desktop items, and you think you're going to break that out at the next job, but you never do, and it just sits in your basement with old files that mean nothing now. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of uh, old computer disks, you know, like those. Those hard disks and some maybe yeah. even some floppy disks. I don't know. You get you still have some floppies. I think I do. Yeah. You know, yeah. This that may is, be from college. You okay, know? this is a total tangent. But before yeah. we get back to the blue book, sure. I just had this um, mind blowing thought a little while ago, and I'm sure this has occurred to someone else before. So Scott, you and I use uh, Microsoft Word often when we're writing stuff. Yes. And uh, listeners out there, you know, you're probably, you're, of course, you're familiar with Microsoft Word, and, and uh, even if you're not, uh, you're familiar with that little save icon mm-hmm. that looks like a 3.5 disc. Yes, you're right. It occurred to me a while back that a lot of people, a lot of younger kids. I have no idea what that is. And you know what? That is on, we just got the latest version here in the office. And I, I didn't even think of that, Ben. That's a good observation because, um, that we have the off, um, Outlook 2013 version, I think, or my, you know, Office 2013. Yeah, we're moving on up. So 2013, yeah. <laughs> well, I know it sounds funny, but you know, that's, that's what we're using. And it's 20, th- but, but the point is it's 20, the 2013 version and it still has that, that, that hard disk. icon. Yeah, the hard disk icon for, for save. And I bet a lot of people have never seen one of those in their life. Yeah, I mean, I'll, why Why would you? I still, not selling a hoarder, but I, I had a couple of computer games that were uh, super cool because you had to have multiple discs just to get it going on your computer. Yeah. And I saved them because my computer <laughs> wasn't smart enough to run them. <laughs> you, know, you know, I okay, we, we're way off topic. We're but, way off, but yeah. I know that I've seen those recently, you know, that those hard disks yeah. in other boxes. And I thought, you know, I look at it, what's on there, and I think, well, I'd like to just take a look at that because, you know, I guess just nostalgia reasons. or Yeah, whatever. you might have, like, family pictures there's, or there's something. There's just no way to read them anymore. I'd have to go to, like, a, a thrift store and find some old bit of computer hardware for, you know, a, a quarter on yeah. the shelf and then bring that home and try to figure out a way to, you know, wire get it through. Get a USB my, connection. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's right. get back to the Kelly Let's Bobo. get back to it because, um, all right, yeah, so at this point, uh, the customers are receiving the Kelly Blue Book twice a month and they need it because they're beginning to become dare I say dependent upon it mm-hmm. right and there are a couple other changes that happen too right funny how that works doesn't need to become dependent on that yeah, yeah. Uh, another big change came about in 1966 and that was when a new car price manual was added so uh, they're starting to place value on new cars now this is really interesting too like um, I guess there's the manufacturer's suggested retail price right MSRP so that would be in there um, let's see, what else would be on there? I guess uh, the dealer invoice price would be part of that. Yeah, the list price. Yeah, so this gives customers, again, they can they can see all this. They know that the dealer the dealer in, um, invoice price, mm-hmm. they know the uh, manufactured suggested retail price, which, yep. you know, again, without the Internet, you know, 1966, you you're going yeah. to be able to figure this out. So, um, I don't know, interesting, we've, we've kind of hopped around here because we were at 1993, now we're back at 1966. Right, right. Well, I apologize. No, but no, no worries. Because I, I feel that was important, that new car price guide. That's, a, that's an important turn in their history. Oh, for sure. And it's not the only one because they realized quickly that uh, increasingly sophisticated 
uh, year, make, model um, profiles mm-hmm. might not be enough because that's not the only thing people want to sell. They also want to sell RVs. They want to sell uh, manufactured housing. They want to sell motorcycles. Yeah. And Kelly made a book for each of those. Yes, yeah, ATVs and snowmobiles and motorcycles. And, uh, man, you said manufactured housing. That's something else. I, I mean, but it's interesting that they're branching into these different places now. They're really going at this. I mean, they're, they're mm-hmm. deciding whatever can be sold, whatever vehicles can be sold, that's a market for us, and let's let's hit them all. So, how hard would that be? Do you think to to just kind of jump into RVs, not knowing anything about them, and, yeah. and having to study and learn all that, and figure out what people are paying? And I mean, to start with nothing, because there was nothing there. I mean, it was again just again blue sky when you walked into uh, or blank slate maybe when you walked into a dealership, and you just had to start this negotiation with whatever they thought it was worth and what mm-hmm. you thought it was worth. Right. And it was a lot more difficult when you didn't have a a beginning point, a starting point. So. In the 1960s, that was something that they were they were um, just starting, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, they also there's another thing that happened. I love classic cars. Mm-hmm. You love classic cars, listeners out there. Um, I'm just going to assume that you also love classic cars because, in my opinion, everybody should. However, <laughs> as the as car manufacturers learned more about their craft. Uh, there's there's no argument about it. The quality of cars improved. Yes, right, definitely. And this meant that the average age of a vehicle on the road changed. Right. Yeah. The, the blue book only covered seven years back. Yeah, that's true. So, um, so it makes sense to produce another publication that what is called the uh, the older car guide, mm-hmm. and that valued cars uh, fourteen years prior. So I think it says another 14 years back. So I wonder if that means 21 years total. I don't, I'm not exactly sure. But um, then there was an early early model guide, which um, which now well, actually that's uh, that's something that they have now. Um, the early model guide uh, provides values all the way back to 1946. So you can get a, um, a uh, I guess an estimation an estimation of valuation of that car. I know that's really, really difficult to do with uh, with classic cars, with antique cars, with uh, yeah. collectible cars. Well, you get to a point where you can't really place an objective value on it. But see, you know what they're doing. You know, with that, with that, um, with that early model guide, they're they're also paying attention to. Well, at auction, they're selling for a lot more money, and we know that. Uh, you know, for whatever reason, um, I'll just make something up. You know, we know that uh, the early Mustangs are selling for a crazy amount higher than they did in, back in 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, they can they can see trends like that going on, and they do adjust all those regularly. And the website helps with that. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's. I'm glad you said website because a lot of that changes uh, in 1978, mm-hmm. right? 1978 is when this officially becomes a three-generation family company because Bob's son, Mike, joins up. Mm-hmm. And Mike is a computer scientist when he joins up with the Kelly company. So he really drives a lot of the innovation uh, to software and then ultimately to an online presence. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. And um, all right, so we're getting into the uh, the computer age, I guess we could yeah. say, one of the, uh, the tech-driven uh, era of, of the Kelly Blue Book. But here's an interesting little twist on this whole thing. We have to and, go back in time for yeah, it. Yeah, and it's strange, you know, the way it fits into the, the chronology of this whole thing. But, um, you know, for a long, long time, there was no advertised price on brand new vehicles. So, that you know, the, um, they didn't arrive at the dealership with a... A window sticker that said, "Here's what this car is valued at, and here's the features that it that it has." But in 1958, uh, Senator Monroney uh, he introduced a bill that would require a window sticker on every new vehicle, which disclosed all the features and the manufacturer's suggested retail price, the MSRP, as we've talked about. 
Um, and it became a law right around that time, around 1958. And it, what it does was it was supposed to lead the uh, or increase customer confidence um, right. and increase car sales because, you know, they could come into a lot and they could see exactly what they're getting. Mm-hmm. They knew that the manufacturer was saying that's what it's worth. It means that they weren't they didn't feel like they were getting taken every time they went on the lot. And, you know, the, the dealer was just jacking the price up, you know, ten thousand dollars on them or they didn't feel like they had to shop around quite as much as they did for a new car. It'd be kind of cool to do an episode on MSRP in the future Monroney labels. Yeah, because one, one interesting fact about those is that I I think the legislation did not require them to put any information on there about recalls or uh, known issues. No, no, nothing like that. And, yeah. you know, the way this ties in with uh, with Kelly right. is that, you know, even as late as the, the 1990s, car dealers would still have, like, these handwritten signs that they would throw up in the window and say, well, here's the features that it has. You know, they would list them with uh, with ink, you know, on the window or, yeah. you know, however they would do it with the, uh, what was that, the shoe uh, stuff, the shoe polish, yeah, remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They could use that to do it, but it was kind of a sloppy way to do it. You know, they'd say, like, low mileage or fully loaded, things like that, but mm-hmm. the way that Kelly innovated this part of the process was that they uh, they developed some kind of desktop software that allowed dealers to print what would be called the Blue Book window sticker, mm-hmm. and you'll see the Blue Book window sticker on used cars even now. It tells you the valuation right. of that vehicle, so... You know, you walk on the lot on a weekend or, you know, even when the dealers are there, but you can, you can really get a good sense of what that vehicle's worth without having to purchase or go to, you know, I don't know if anybody even purchases a, a printed blue book anymore, but you could, without going to the, uh, the Kelly blue book site. Right. And looking up the valuation of that car, you know, while you're there, it's not that hard for people to do, but there it is right for you on that vehicle in front of you. Yeah. And, uh, every year, since that time, millions of used cars are sold displaying that. They have a thing called the Blue Book Suggested Retail Value, mm-hmm. which is pretty much their version of MSRP. Sure, yeah, for used vehicles. And right. it's, a, it's, it's really creative. I mean, it was, a, it was a great extension of their business, I think, for them to do something like that. So let's talk Let's talk about the – what was it you said, Scott? 1993 consumers could buy yeah. the, the Blue Book. and uh, Well, how long is this after they've uh, – so they published it in uh, 1926. And uh-huh. I, had, I had this written down. So, oh, yeah. So they published it in 1926, and here we are in 1993. And finally, they made a consumer edition version of the Blue Book. And, and this is – I don't know why it took this long. I guess maybe it was just – there was public outcry for it. I don't know exactly <laughs> why, but um, but they decided that you know we're going to sell these to customers, and I'm sure the dealers didn't like this at all. But um, and here's an interesting little side note: it quickly became the nation's number one selling automotive book, and it made it on the USA Today's bestseller list. Right? Yeah. Isn't that something? So people that. immediately went out and bought it. But again, this trade publication that had been around since 1926, it's now 1993. That is 67 years mm-hmm. as a successful trade publication without being made available to the public. But I feel, I, I honestly feel, Ben, we've, we've said this before, I feel like I saw a Kelly Blue Book before 1993. Oh, yeah, me too. Because I know I know before that um, there was one passing around in, like, my family. Mm-hmm. They would have they would have one, and everybody's got that uncle they call or whatever. Sure, you know? yeah. It's like, well, a friend has one or something, and, you know, it may be four years old, but it's pretty close. Right. You know, it's not going to be dramatically different unless it's some, you know, un- really unusual circumstance. Right, unless there's a systemic problem with the vehicle that later emerges. Exactly right, yeah. So um, it's pretty close, and, and that's the way I saw it. And I know that you said the same thing, that, you know, mm. you saw these uh, it kind of passed around between people, but it wasn't something you could purchase on the shelf brand new at the store until 1993. And 
During the 90s, we see the growth of the Kelly Blue Book into the digital age. And I, I would say now it's uh, people are still buying the physical one, right? But now it's primarily online. Yeah, I think. I mean, I, I mentioned just a moment ago, I, I doubt many people are buying the physical book, but, you know, the uh, the printed book that you can hold in your hand. Uh, but maybe there's a few holdouts out there. Um, but in 19, was it 1995, I believe? Yeah. Um, it finally got its uh, its own website, the kbb.com, which is kellybluebook.com. And it was running on a single PC uh, out of uh, the Kelly <laughs> out of the Kelly headquarters. Yeah. Um, I find that just strange. But again, 1995, that's just the way things were. And here, here's a really cool thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, I think fine. this is so cool. They, uh, they used to charge people four bucks a pop for the pricing report, right? Yeah, this is, yeah, that's something that a lot of younger listeners probably won't understand either yeah. is that, you know, you go to a lot of these sites and it's like, well, to, to really see the information is going to cost you four or five bucks and you'd have to input your, uh, your credit card information. And it, it, a lot of them have switched over to being free. And of course they caved into pressure as well because, um, I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of customers were saying, Hey, what's, what's the deal? You know, I can, I can go out and buy this book now. Yeah. You're going to charge me for the convenience of looking at it at my house, but this is the way things are going. Uh, I think you guys better straighten up and, you know, get it. <laughs> That's probably, you know, the, the polite version right. of what they were probably telling them, you know, in these, uh, and I, I would guess at the time it was probably a complaint line that you would call in on. Sure, yeah. Because uh, nobody really emailed at that point. I mean, not many people did. It was uh, still relatively new. It's so funny to think about it, isn't it? It, it is strange. It's relatively new. Relative. I'm sure that it was happening. But um, So they decided that, you know, rather than to uh, tick off their own customers, they decided to just yank the charge. And I think it was only about three weeks that they charged people. Uh, three was it three ninety five? Yeah, the information. Which would what business ever does that? That's crazy. Yeah, I, I, to me, I think that's that's really smart. Again, it's innovate innovative because they said we can just switch to a business that's run by ads. Yep, exactly right. So, all right. Well, I think we've we've pretty much gotten to the end here. Now, I, yeah. there's a few little little things that we need to uh, to bring up here. That in two thousand, Bob and Mike Kelly retired from the company. So, um, you know, the, these people that we saw come in as uh, as lot boys. Uh, you know, changing tires and right. you know, filling up gas tanks and things like that. They they're not they're not retired. Um, what else? Let's see. I, I think um, in 2002, um, the oh, yeah. com or kbb.com introduced visitors to the fair purchase price for new cars, um, which is what I guess they say smart buyers are really paying for them. So you can go right. there, and it's kind of like one of these sites where they'll say, "Yeah, the dealer's going to tell you that it's this, and the MSRP is this." Uh, but here's what people in your area are starting to pay for this vehicle. And, mm-hmm. and that's more what you want to look at for, uh, you know, a bargaining point or starting point, rather. Um, I think it's a pretty innovative site as far as what they offer. I mean, they've been around for, what, 90 years at this point? 89 years? Right, 90 yeah. years, And successfully made the jump to other... But if you think about it, for the bulk of the company's history, what they've really been in is the information business. That's true. Not the car business. Yeah, and I guess. I mean, it was like 40 years they were in the car business. That's but, true. But still... But the majority of now... You're, you're still right. You know what? Even so, the majority of the time, that's another 50 years, they've been in just exclusively publishing. So, But, but they've been doing that for, what, 90 years, almost right. 90 years, yeah. I mean, right since the beginning. Oh, man. I, I feel like there are a couple things we I want to get to, but uh, I, in the interest of time, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to bow out and save these for nuts and bolts. Yeah, I think we will. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, listeners, uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode, as we always say, as much as we enjoyed making it. Uh, I was I was really interested in this story. You can learn more about Kelly Blue Book on their website. Um, and I'd like to hear if anybody 
ever got the Kelly Blue Book value or the Kelly Blue Book price when they were selling a used car or when they were buying one from a dealer. Yeah, because, you know, they, they always say that's a starting point. That's where you can you can begin your negotiation. But if someone comes in and says, hey, it's like a no-haggle deal, right? this is it, that's what you pay. And, and then, you know, of course, for people who are buying direct from the owner of a vehicle, there's always going to be some kind of haggling. And then you might run into somebody who, who says, no negotiation, that's the blue book value. Sure. I spent 20 grand on this sound system. Oh, there's always that. And then the, uh, the haggling over the condition of the vehicle. Is it, is it mm-hmm. fair condition? Is it mm-hmm. good condition? Is it poor condition? You know, mm-hmm. what, what's, is it excellent condition or even mint condition? I right. mean, I don't remember the exact condition levels in the Kelly Blue Book. I'll have to see if there's a mint. Yeah. I don't think there is. There's uh, several different levels, uh-huh. and I know that there's, that's always a point of contention between uh, you know buyer and seller. Right. What um, is what is the best condition? Yeah. Exactly. Know? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, interesting stuff. I, I, I again, fascinating history. There's uh, there's a lot to that whole family, the Kelly family, and uh, there's more than we've included here. I mean, we had to yeah. get the high points and. Um, we didn't even talk about really how to use the site or what the site really can give you, because I mean, it's more than that. It's um, sure. industry insights and expert analysis, market trends, fair market values yeah. and trends, and how they come up with all those. I mean, it's it's really a pretty interesting site, especially if you have an interest in big data or analytics. Mm-hmm. You'll enjoy poking around there. You might be surprised at what you find. Uh, if you find something that you think is really cool, tell us about it. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can listen to uh, the U-Haul episode and the Hell's Highway episodes or series that we alluded to earlier on our website, carstuffshow.com. And if you want to send us an email directly, we can't wait to read it. Our address is carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.